The following is a sermon from Living Hope Bible Church in Port Rowan, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit livinghopebiblechurch.ca. Welcome to the Living Hope Bible Church podcast. Uh, we're beginning a sub-series through the book of Haggai, uh, where we see God's desire to restore his people. Uh, in the book of Haggai, we meet uh, the people of Israel who have misplaced priorities, misplaced uh, goals and desires in life as uh, they've returned to the land and they've come away from what God has called them to do. They've become focused on uh, the world around them and uh, as we see their example, misplaced priorities, we need to ask ourselves, how are we like them? How have we come off course? So let's listen in. Well, I'm very excited to be here this morning, and uh, wow, it is. It's great to see so many of you. Uh, Well, Pastor Mark has been going through um, uh, the book of James, and uh, we're going to take a bit of a pause from that. Actually, a fun side note is in youth, uh, we're going through James as well, so our church is getting a double whammy of uh, James, which is great. Uh, But this morning, we're going to be somewhere else. We're going to be in Haggai. Yeah, that's right. I got the right book. Um, bit late now, um, but uh, how many of you uh, have ever like read multiple books on the go? Yeah? We, this is kind of what we're going to do. This is going to be a series that we're going to like put away for the next time when I come back, okay, which will be like after Christmas sometime, all right? So, uh, so every time, we're going to kind of just figure out where we are, and we're just going to figure out, um, you know, who is this, uh, who's talking, what situation is this, and all that kind of stuff. Now, But the beauty of uh, going through James at the same time is this. The point of reading all the books of the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, you know, it's not so that we just know more, right? We need to do the things that God's Word calls us to do. So many times, I can't tell you how many times I've left a Bible study in my life and been the same. How many times I've done... Uh, Bible reading in the morning and afterwards have been the same. What does God's word want us to do? How does he want us to live? And so as we go through the book of Haggai, we need to look at, Lord, how are you speaking through these peop- to these people, but how are you speaking to me? How can we do your work? How can we be convicted? And how can we be moved to action to live out God's will, to glorify God with everything within us, not just to, oh, we, we're studying a minor prophet and I understand more of the context. God's word and our knowledge of God is to move us to action because knowledge about Jesus Christ, if we're not using it, if, not cha- if it's not changing the way that we live, there's no real point to it. You know, James calls it useless. And so as we go to the book of Haggai, we need to understand its context, okay? We can't just jump into it and read um, without understanding where we are in, in Israel's history, okay? This isn't, um, it's in a specific period of time, okay? And I have a few dates up here. So the first one, 590 BC, the kingdom of Judah and the temple are destroyed and the people exiled. I think that's a run-on sentence, but you get the point. In 598 BC, 
the kingdom of Judah, which is the southern kingdom, it was the only kingdom left out of the two, is destroyed by the Babylonians, all right? And also the temple is destroyed. Now, you see, the temple is important. The temple was built by Solomon, and the book of Haggai is going to be based around the building of the temple. So it's important that we understand what is the temple. What does it mean? What does it represent? Okay, the, the temple represents two things. Number one, it's God's presence. Okay? The temple represents God's presence with his people. Okay? We look through the cross, we look through the coming of the Holy Spirit, and we see that this church is not the house of the Lord, right? It's not the, the building is not uh, the temple, right? Through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and through the coming of the Holy Spirit, we see that uh, the miraculous work of God is the fact that we have become the temple of God. You know, God is with us through Jesus Christ. But where this context is right now, the house of the Lord represents God's presence, God's glory among his people. God chose the people of Israel to be the nation that would bless the world. He would choose his nation and through them, he would bless the world. And the thing is, he knew they couldn't just do it on their own. You, know, you can read Judges. You can read pretty much all the historical books. You see that they're just real people who really struggle. And they're very much like us. And the thing is, God's like, I need to be with my people. And as uh, God talks about his temple in Haggai, it's not like God's like, I want the best house. I want the, like, it's not like he's going to be on an episode of Cribs. Um, that reference lands anywhere, I don't know. <laughs> a great MTV show, right? Um, <laughs> but it's just like, God's not like, I want the best stuff. I want the best bed, the best uh, couch or whatever. It's just like, God wants to be with his people. God wants to bless his people. His priority is the fullness of his people. And that's how his glory comes down, is as lives are changed. In First Kings, you can read as Solomon builds the temple and after it's all done, you can read everything in First Kings. But as they build it, they, they collect all the, all the people of Israel come together. And they stand before the temple and they call upon God. And you see his glory come down as smoke filling the temple. God's glory and his presence with his people is represented through the temple. And the second thing is the people's atonement. Okay? At the temple, the people would bring sacrifices. Uh, they would bring sacrifices to cover their sin. You know, it didn't pay the price for their sin. It covered their sin. It made them, allowed them to have a right relationship with God. And again, we see that through the cross, that Jesus fulfilled all of the sacrifices, all, you know, everything through Christ's death on the cross, so that we have our atonement through Jesus. You know, our sin, just like the people's sin, separated us and separates them from God. And remember, God's God's priority and his work is to restore his people, is to have them have communion with him. Again, it's not about having just a big building for him. It's about having his people with him because we need him. And his temple represents God's presence and the people's atonement because that is where their sins were paid for, you know, represented through the sacrifices, right? Every time they would uh, put a sacrifice on uh, the altar at the temple, they were showing like one day the Messiah is going to come. One day the Messiah will bear our sins. And they were having their faith in their God. So the temple is of the utmost importance for the people of Israel. And Babylon came in 590 BC and destroyed it. 
and the people are sent into exile. And you can read that in 2 Kings 25. You know, in this period of exile, you have uh, the book of Daniel, the book of Ezra, uh, sorry, Ezekiel, not the book of Ezra. Well, actually, yeah, the book of Ezra uh, is uh, where we come to next. See, the second date is this. Um, I guess I could just look up there. Uh, 538 BC. This is where the people return. See, the Babylonians were destroyed by the Persians. And the Babylonians and the Assyrians, these are uh, like kingdoms, people groups that ruled over empires and groups of people. The way that the Babylonians and the Assyrians would rule was through fear. The Persians did too in their own way. But the way that the Assyrians and the Babylonians would, they would come in, they would annex the people, and they would scatter them. All right? that's, why, that's why the Jewish people were not just simply ruled over and left alone. They were exiled. They were moved around because in, in doing so, People can't rise up against you. And the Persians want to become, they, 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 they show themselves in the history books of wanting to be more benevolent, okay? Have more love. I mean, still ruled through fear. You didn't want to cross them, but yet they, they sought to be more benevolent. And so they saw these people, the Jewish people, who kept their cultural identity separate, and they wanted to return to their homeland. And so God stirred and worked in Cyrus, who was the king at the time, and, sent, and allowed them to return to the land. And we'll come to another king in Haggai of uh, King Darius. And so God, what you see through that kind of situation is God works through Gentile, non-believing people. You know, he works his purposes for his people to restore them. And so 538 BC, the people return uh, with Zerubbabel as their leader. And in one year, they begin rebuilding the temple, Okay. Because remember, the temple is of the utmost priority. It's the Lord's presence with his people, and it's the people's atonement for their sin, okay? That in all together restores the relationship that they have with their God, and their worship before God is restored. But the thing is, when they arrived and they began, people around them became hostile. It became difficult. And so they start. And then this is where the book of Haggai comes in, 17 years later, the word of the Lord comes to Haggai. And so as we read, and as this is where we're going to eventually pick up and begin reading, the Lord has his principles and he wants his people to be right with him and restored with him. Remember, it's not about him just having a big house. If I can't make that more clear, it's all about the full glorification of God because in so doing, we, his people, are fulfilled. We, his people, are satisfied. And for you to be fully restored, we must have God's kingdom be our primary focus and fulfillment in this life. And so as we see uh, the peoples, uh, you know, they, they had their priorities straight when they arrived. They got going with the temple. And yet over the course of time, they lost their way. They lost their priorities. They lost the purpose of why they were there and who their God was and what he wanted. Because life was difficult. And so the question uh, to ask this morning, uh, to weave through this and how we connect with it, because we want to be doers of the word, and we want to be because we can easily see ourselves through the people of Israel. You know, don't be like me as I was growing up, being like you know reading the Old Testament, and you would read how the Israelites failed, and then they failed again, and they failed, and I've always just thought like, I think I would be pretty good. I think I would be pretty good. But the truth is, it's just my heart's the same. We're all prone to wander. And so where are you this morning? In what way right now have you lost your way, your priorities, your mission or purpose? And when I say your ways, your priorities, I mean the ones that the cross gives us. 
you know, what the cross has made our life about. You know, perhaps 17 years ago, like the Israelites, perhaps 17 years ago, you were, you were fired up for the glory of God, for his kingdom work. You know, maybe God was moving in your heart, maybe even just simply before COVID, right? That changed everything. Maybe in, during COVID, God has convicted you to do something for the kingdom of God. You know, I'm going to serve in this way in the community or church for Christ. Uh, I'm going to give, uh, give God a portion of my income, and I'm going to live uh, in generosity. I'm going to finally open up about my faith at work and be a light for Christ. You know, I'm finally going to confront that sin in my life. Well, how about you going to finally open up to someone in church, just a, another fellow believer, and seek true fellowship? Real conversations that matter, you know, instead of hiding the strongholds that hold us back. I don't know what mission God has directly for you, but it's like maybe God has put on something for you to do that's, uh, that's, that's radical. Maybe for you to be a part of a ministry that's in this community, maybe go start one, maybe go uh, just plant a church, adopt a child, just, you know, be about the kingdom First and foremost, I don't know how God wants to use us, but maybe God has convicted you to go and make disciples. And then 17 years later, as you look back, you're like, how did I get here, though? Or maybe 17 years ago, you said, I'm going to change. I'm finally going to change. But then life happened, and you came off course. And so in what ways right now, have you lost your way, your priorities, your mission and purpose? In what ways does God want to restore you? How does God want to restore you? And so this morning, before we begin reading Haggai, I just want to take a moment for all of us together to privately pray and come to God. You know, if you are being convicted of something, to pray about that. If you are not sure, maybe to ask God, what do you want me to do with my life? What do you want me to do from now on? How must I go from here? Because our faith, you know, as we see in James, real faith works. Real faith acts upon what it believes. It doesn't just do, uh, you know, just say and then never do. We do what we believe. And how is God prompting you this morning? So, we're going to just bow our heads in private prayer to uh, pray to our God. How is the Lord wanting to bring you back on course of where he wants to lead you? Just pray. Father, I pray that you will restore your people. Lord, may our lives honor you. May our words about you, how we love you, how we want to glorify you, may our lives and our actions, our attitude, our behavior, may we mirror that. May we live this out. May we look into the perfect word of God as we see this mirror, as it shows where we are, where we have been. Lord, may we not just be convicted. May we act upon the conviction. Lord, may you lead us. May your spirit guide us. And as you confront the people of Israel, may we be able to humble ourselves and see ourselves in the feet, in the shoes of the people of Israel. 
how we can easily be like them, how we can easily be off course, how we can easily be about ourselves. May your kingdom come. May we live for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you haven't turned there already to the book of Haggai, uh, please turn there. I I sounded like many of you did before, but I'm just going to take a drink of water anyway. Um, You can use your table of contents. Make sure you put a bookmark there because it's so easy to lose Haggai. It's just two chapters. So So, Haggai. And if I say, hey, guy, I don't mean to. It's Haggai. I had to look up on YouTube to be like, how is it specifically pronounced? Because I think I was saying Haggai. Uh, Haggak? I don't know. Anyway, so Haggai. <laughs> so it's 520 BC, and we're going to see the time and the people uh, involved in this uh, event as the Lord, word of the Lord comes to Haggai. Okay, verse 1 of chapter 1. In the second year of Darius the king, he's the king of Persia, In the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So here we get the time, 520 BC, and here we get the people involved. The king of Persia is there, and then we see the leaders of the Israelites, Zerubbabel being from the line of David, Okay, he's descendants from, he's a descendant of David, and from him we'll also get Jesus as well. And then we also have Joshua the high priest, and what we have there is the leaders of the people, all right? And he has something to say to the people. Look at verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord, the house of the Lord. I don't know if you hear that there in that first verse, but do you hear the accusation there? These people, okay? The Lord's not saying, I I have said, but now it's time. These people say it's not time yet. And you can hear their excuse in it, right? Well, we want to. It's just not time yet. It's not time. We want to. It's just not time, Lord. You know, we'll build your house when we've got the time, when we've got, the, 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 we've, able, we've got our lives sorted out, we've got our lives figured out, and we can begin building your house. You know, these people say the time has not come yet to rebuild the house of the Lord. And then look at what God says back to that. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your panel houses while this house lies in ruins? That excuse, where does that go? This has been 17 years. Okay, they stopped building the temple. 17 years passed. Okay, the Lord has been seeking them as we're going to see in the next verses uh, later on. But the Lord has been seeking them and they've done nothing but seek their own houses. They've been building up their own lives and yet his house is, is at most a foundation. And that's it. The priorities of the Lord, the people have, not yet, later. And what you hear is really just excuses. You know, we want to, Lord, but just not now. It's difficult. You can read the accounts in Ezra chapter 3 to 6 if you want to see how uh, they began. And then there was political opposition people who lived around them, who uh, were hostile to them, uh, given bribes, threats, harassment, and the Jewish people ceased to do work on the house of the Lord. And yet the Lord, you know, like, it's not time yet. But then he's like, but you're building up your own lives. You're spending all this time. Look at your houses. 
You've built up lives for yourself, but yet forsaken my presence with you. My priorities have been misplaced. And what you really see here is the priority of personal welfare and safety over the priority of the house of the Lord. Well, it's dangerous if we do this. But God's like, I haven't said it's not time yet. I, I, sorry, I haven't said that, it, yeah, it's not time yet. But yet, we as just like them, you know, we can give excuses, right? We can become focused on other things. And you see, this is the important uh, fact to remember in this whole event here, okay? The people's attitude to the building of the house of the Lord reveals their heart towards God, okay? As God has called them to do this, their attitude to the building of the house of the Lord reveals their attitude towards God himself. How much did they care about the temple? Not as much as their own houses. And so, we've got the first point, and I I guess I missed this, but we're going to have three points of consideration, okay? Where we're going to pause and just consider how are we like them? How can we do the exact same things? And the first thing is this, and it's a very heavy word here, Consider your excuses. I don't use that word lightly, but we see it in the text. And the tone, you know, God's heart is to restore Israel. And the thing is, he's confronting them. And yet what we hear is excuses from the people. In what ways can we, can we give excuses? Because I know we can, right? We can sound like Moses. You know, uh, God calls him for a special mission. And God's like, just send someone else, please. Send someone else, just not me. God was patient with Moses and sends him. And you know, uh, many ways we can make excuses when, when God is convicting us, right? Uh, I had a, a quote from Francis Chan read to, be, read to me by my wife. Uh, she's, uh, Francis Chan says, um, North American Christians are great at conviction, not action. You know, how many times can you work up a conviction, a feeling of like, oh, that's good, oh, that hurts, you know, like there's a preacher just kicking you in the heart, and it's like, yeah, I need to do something about this, and yet it just washes up on the shores of Monday, and it's just like, where did that conviction go? Well, maybe next week I'll be convicted and be motivated, right? As if the answer to our problems is we need motivational speakers or something to drive us to do something. But the fact is we need to act upon the convictions we already have from the Spirit of the Lord. To the convictions of your heart, what excuses do we make? You know, we, just, we don't have the time right now. I want to, just not the time. I can't afford it right now. Maybe after this busy period of my life, I'm just so busy right now. Well, my kids are really into sports right now. Uh, Maybe after I'm done my homework, then I can. Uh, Maybe once I'm done school, then I can. Uh, You know, right now, uh, kids are just a lot right now. We have a lot of things going on right now. You know, I, I don't know what God is convicting you to do, but it's just we can all do the same thing and be like, just not right now. I want to, but just not right now. Your attitude towards the kingdom of God reveals your heart and your attitude towards God himself. How are you building the kingdom of God when it's easy or when it's hard 
Do you give when it requires faith or only when you have abundance? Do you love when it's difficult or only when the people to love are easy? Do you serve when you know that no one will see or do you only serve when there is eyes to see you or rewards to be received? You know, what is God asking you to do? What is God asking you to do? And is your response, is your reasons, are your reasons excuses? It's a very hard question we need to ask ourselves. Look at verse 5 as we see God continue to speak. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, okay? Consider your ways. This is where we get all these considered uh, points as we go through here. This means to pull out your heart, examine your heart, ponder the results of your own choices. How have you been living? How have you spent your life so far? And what is your plan? Consider your ways. You know, the people had, uh, he's calling them to look at what are they living for? What are they putting their hope into? And so he says in verse 6, You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages goes so to put them into a bag with holes. The Lord is calling his people to consider what they have done, where they're going, what the point of their existence is all about. Where are you putting your hopes into And what the people had turned to from God's priority of restored right relationship, what they had done is they had looked to the things of this earth as their ultimate priority. You know, the temple mattered. The temple is not just like, again, it's not just like God wants a really big house, but God wants his people fully restored and in right relationship and to not, we don't want to waste our lives. And God wants to look at his people and have his people fulfilled. And the fact is, we are only fulfilled when God's name and his person is glorified in our lives. And so to hold up our own prosperity as the ultimate, as the place where our hopes are going to be put. When you put your own prosperity as your main priority, you will never be satisfied. And that's what you see in these verses. You know, as we do our budgets throughout the week, this should be the verse that we just have in mind as we uh, put out where our money's going to go. You know, you seek much, but yet you find little. You know, you go to things for fulfillment, but yet you always come up needing more. You know, the truth is in this passage that, you know, maybe today you have money, clothing, food, and drink, but what will you want tomorrow? Money, clothing, food, and drink. You know, this is the the priority of uh, self and gain coming up against the priority of God's house. Whenever you put your hope, whatever, when everything that you hope for in this life uh, is the things of this world, you will always come up short. You will always be wanting more. I mean, that, that sentence at the end of verse 6 says it so So clearly the feeling that it can always get when you seek more and more from the things of this earth. Look at that last sentence there. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. You've got to continuously fill it. You've got to continuously get the new thing. You've got to continuously seek your identity, your security, your fulfillment, your entertainment, your distraction, something from the things of this world. 
And so the second thing is, you see there, consider where your hopes are put. Where do you put your hopes? And when I mean consider your hopes, it's where do you, ho- where do you hope your security is going to come from? Where do you hope your, uh, your, uh, your identity is found? Where do you hope that your tomorrow is going to be worth living? Where do you hope your, uh, your fulfillment, satisfaction is going to come from? You know, what, what are your priorities? What are your pursuits? The people of the Lord here, the people of Israel, uh, forsake, uh, they forsook the house of the Lord and sought to build their own houses. You know, um, where your hopes and pursuits are is where your heart will be also. Because the whole time here, God is desiring our hearts, not your money. He's looking for your hearts and he wants to fulfill you fully. He wants to restore you. He wants to, uh, to have you live to the fullest of life. And that is only in him, not in our own prosperity here. Where your pursuits and your hopes are, that is where your heart will be. And Jesus can say it clear, more clear than I can. Uh, keep your bookmark in Haggai or your finger and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And in some ways, I imagine most of you understand where I'm probably going right now with this. Matthew chapter 6, we come to the verse, but seek first the kingdom of God. You know, as we see in Haggai, um, what we see is build the house of the Lord and how we can apply that to our lives. Because remember, we're on the other side of Christ with the coming of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean for us to build the house of the Lord in the New Testament now? It's to seek first the kingdom of God. And as all these things that I've been, uh, you know, explaining, like, I don't know what God is calling you to do. You know, I know God is calling you to live by faith and to be a light in this world, be transformed by the gospel, to go and make disciples. And how that looks like is that we seek, that is all a part of seeking to build the kingdom of God here on earth. But very much easily, sometimes we can hear, go, you know, seek first the kingdom of God. And it's just like, well, yeah, but I've also got bills to pay. I've got things to do. I've got a lot of things I need to keep going. Or you get distracted by pursuits. And yeah, so we want to see that, that, that verse in the whole context. So look in verse 19 of chapter 6 as Jesus is preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Very much what he's saying there is the things of this world will not last. I don't know about you, but I really like history stuff. And I've seen many like burial things being brought up. And it always seems, no matter what culture, there's always like, here's a great person and they have like a bunch of stuff around them. They're buried with things that they take to the afterlife. And, you know, you even hear the crazy things of like, slaves being buried with their masters and things like that. It's just like people want to take with them the things they have in this life. But we all know the truth. You can't. You just can't take it with you. And so if you've ever like, you know, even asked yourself, what's the point of this life in the sense of like, okay, so, you know, you go to high school and they're like, okay, well, what are your four options? Well, your four options are university, college, apprenticeship, or go to the workplace, right? And then it's like, okay, so when I do that, then what do I do? Well, you can, uh, you know, Uh, get married, have kids, buy a house, buy a car, just get your life going, right? And then you can start the cycle for them. But then it's just like, and then you've got to make sure you're saving for your retirement. And then when your retirement comes, you can enjoy things and different things. And it's just like, okay, but what then, right? There's just a lot of things that we, sometimes it's very easy to get focused on, you know, like, like a hamster going on a wheel, just kind of making it day to day, just going and going and going. And at the end, it's just like, what are these things all adding up to? 
They matter, but at the same time, we need to see eternity in mind. What are we building on this earth that's going to last? Treasures on this earth will not last. It's not even guaranteed. That's what this passage is saying. Moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. We don't know what's going to, bring to, what's going to come tomorrow. We don't know... Uh, what state our family is going to be in. We don't know what state our finances are going to be in. We don't know, uh, you know, after November 3rd, we'll see what uh, the world will be like. So that's why in verse 20 he says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Okay, the things that will last eternity. That's why when he's saying, seek first the kingdom of God, what's going to matter? What's going to go to heaven? You know, what's going to last eternity? You know, it's what you've done with Jesus. It's those you, who, uh, who you've shared Jesus Christ with, those we've done life with that all believe in his name. And as we live for his kingdom and his, you know, what are you doing right now with Jesus Christ in your life? Being a good steward of the things we have is not just simply having a big bag with no holes in it. You know, it's seeking fulfillment through the kingdom. It's how we building the kingdom here. And so that's why he says in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where you are seeking fulfillment, where you are putting your hopes into, where you are seeking the greatest things in life, that's where your heart is going to be. And God is always on pursuit for your heart. That's why our hearts must be for him. That's why he wants his house to be, his presence to be among us. Because in him we're fulfilled. In him we find purpose, a real reason to exist outside of ourselves. That's why we have to be a part of the kingdom. And so in verse 24 he says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. For you cannot serve God and money. Where is your heart? Where are your hopes? What are you seeking to build with your life? And for those, you know, when you think, well, what about the things in this life that I need to, you know, I need to, you know, like when the lockdown happened and all non-essential work stopped and you're like, well, my mortgage feels pretty uh, essential to me. You know, your bills are pretty essential. You know, uh, in, in the face of seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus says this in verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? In verses 26 to 30, he talks about God provides for the birds. God provides for the vegetation here. Then verse 31, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Okay, God knows you need the things that you need. The problem is that we get mixed up what we need and what we want. Uh, when I worked at Toitetsu, and when I first started there, um, we did two shifts, and we would get like, we did a two shift rotation. We get 50 hours a week because they just like, were like, we need parts, and people were buying cars like crazy. Um, so people got used to a 50 hour income, okay, 50 hour work week, 50 hour income, and then they cut that down to a three shift situation uh, schedule, 
And so people only got 40 hours a week. People were very upset because they had just lost their, all that overtime and everything. And so uh, sometimes they would make us work weekends. So you would be conscripted, and I didn't really want to work, but yeah, sometimes I was conscripted to work on the weekends. And I would go in, and I would always notice the same people were there, the same supervisors, the same workers. And one time I just asked my supervisor, like, why, why do you work every single weekend? And there was incredible wisdom in what she said, whether she wanted to follow through with it or not, or think it through. She said, when we were working 50 hours a week, I got used to a certain lifestyle, and now I've got to keep it up. So I've got to keep working. And it's just like, what do we need and what do we want? You know, those things just get, like, we don't need the things that we want. But yet, in our pursuit of life, it's very easy to get those muddled. And it's just like, we don't, sometimes do we even question, should maybe I lower my expenses, not just simply increase my income? Like, what is the point of this life? Because if, if, if it's all about this earth's prosperity, you will always be empty. And you will always be wanting more. So for Gentiles, seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He knows what you need. And you have this promise here in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You know, seek to be transformed by God. Seek to be renewed. Seek to grow in your faith. Seek to make disciples, to know people truly so that you can love them in a way that Christ loves you. Seek to give to the people who need to be given to. Seek to spread the love in this world. Seek to volunteer and serve and show humility and great love like we see on the cross. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then we get this promise here, and all these things shall be added to you. So that's not me promising that to you. I'm not like, you give me money and I'll like, you know, we're not talking about any prosperity gospel here. We're saying that God's going to provide for what you need if you seek his priorities and his kingdom first. That's God's word making a promise that he's going he's gonna to be for you. He's going to be with you. And so that verse there in 34 closes off the thought there. It's just, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Turn back to Haggai. See, Haggai says, whose house are you building? Jesus says, whose kingdom are you seeking? Whose kingdom are you seeking? Are you seeking your own kingdom? And so God continues to uh, talk to the, the Israelites here. Look in verse 7 here. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Okay, look at your heart. Look at where you're going. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You have looked for much and behold, it came to little. You know, they looked towards the things of this world to have their fill, seek uh, their own prosperity. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. You know, that's quite a statement right there. Even though they could never have their fill of the things of this world, what he's saying here is like, I still, I, with, I, I tried to get your attention. I blew things away. You forgot and you misplaced your priorities. And I, you know, I, he caused their lives to become difficult. 
And you kind of see, because remember, this is in the Old Testament with the people of Israel. In Deuteronomy 28, you see that God, uh, that Moses lists out the blessings for following the law of Moses and the curses for disobedience. And, you know, as they are pushing against and, and, and rejecting the priority of the house of the Lord and just like, we're just going to figure our own lives out right now. We'll get the house of the Lord figured out when my life is figured out. What you see is the Lord is trying to seek their attention I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and on all their labors." Even before he spoke, he was seeking their attention. I don't know how the Lord is seeking your attention. I don't know what the Lord is doing in your life, but is he speaking to you to like, what must we do for the kingdom? Or are we busying ourselves with our own houses? And the third and last consideration here this morning is just consider God's desire for you. You As we've been seeing throughout this passage, the house of the Lord is not just about how great, you know, how great God's house can be. It's about the full restoration of his people. Only when you seek the full glorification of God in your life will you find satisfaction. Will you find the truest, most, the, the, the strongest reason for living. Because when your life is all about you and your kingdom, you'll always come up short and you'll always feel like you have to keep going. But yet when you look to Christ for your identity, when you look to Christ for your purpose, your mission, your priorities, when God is truly with his people, restored with his, when his people are restored to him, we know what we should do. We know what we have to do to seek his kingdom. How is God calling you this morning? How does God want to restore you? Where have you been? How have you come off course? You know, the sentence I just kind of leave with you. When we live for God's kingdom, we find the reason why we live at all. How does God want to restore you? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the words that you have spoken to the people of Israel, as we see how we are to live, how we see that we ourselves can come away, come off course, can need restoration, need your presence and your atonement restored in our lives. Father God, may you call your people to you. May we come and bring our hearts to you. You love us, you have grace, and we can bring what we truly feel inside, the insecurities, the fears, the unsuredness that we have about tomorrow. How are we going to get through this life? How are we going to raise our children? How are we going to be making disciples? How are we going to be a light in this world? Lord, show us your, your ways. Show us your faithfulness. Show us your power. May we seek not just to be convicted, but may we seek to be full of action. May we seek to do your word. May we not be hearers only. We love you, Lord, and we want to do all things for your glory. 
May you be praised in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. This has been a sermon from Living Hope Bible Church. For more information about our church, please head to livinghopebiblechurch.ca.